It is Thursday Finance and we take a look at currencies and commodities. Uh, well, first question, Stephen Pritchard. Um, do you think these negotiate this summit meeting between Donald Trump and the North Korean leadership has um, made any difference to the markets? No. Okay, how are they going? Same question. Well, there's lots of red ink around this week. So, so if you if if it had a, made a difference, it's had the opposite effect you would have thought it had. So, I suggest it's made no difference at all, to be honest. Um, so, the gold price the gold price was up eighteen dollars thirty four an ounce to seventeen hundred and thirteen dollars. Um, the copper price was up one hundred and fourteen dollars a ton to nine thousand five hundred and eighteen, and the oil price was up. Um, Dollar sixty-eight a barrel to one hundred dollars and ninety-seven cents. Um, elsewhere, the currencies, the Australian dollar was down across the board. We're down um, 0.6% to seventy-five dollars, seventy-five point seven seven US cents. Uh, against the greatish British pound, we're down to fifty-six point six three pence, and the euro we were down to sixty-four point two three. So your overseas holidays and importation of overseas goods got marginally more expensive and if Any you're in reason for that why should we be going down why can't we go up oh well you know it's <laughs> not that much uh, the reserve bank still thinks the currency is overvalued so. okay so um and you're a little bit poor if you invest in the australian share market um it was it was down 36 points in the week to 6133 uh the s&p index was up 5.3 points to 2,775 and the FTSE index was pretty much steady 0.7% change to 7,703.71. And what about the stocks that we follow locally? The local stocks that you're heavily invested in. Um, BHP was down 83 cents to $33.25. Um, CBA is uh, $68.18 which is down to $1.08. Um, NB, N, NIB was down one cent to five dollars thirty-nine, and Telstra was down another two cents to two dollars seventy-six. I mm-hmm. think you'll probably see a two point five there before it stops falling. It's certainly getting closer, isn't it? Yeah, and there's talk about now that the dividend might be okay for this year, but there's issues about it might have to be further cut next year. So that'll. Mm-hmm. Um, and the uh, and after after the long weekend, the uh, the petrol price has uh, has um, has dropped one and a half cents to a dollar fifty three point four cents a litre. Ah, yeah. So the week the Thursday before last, it was dollar fifty two. Last week before the long weekend, it was a dollar fifty four, and now we're back to a dollar fifty three. Oh, okay. So in fact, it hasn't dropped all that much, really. No, but it went up two cents for the long weekend. Oh, uh, so your prediction, except in Sydney, Sydney uh, it's a dollar forty-three cents a litre, mm-hmm. so it's down seven cents on last Thursday. Oh. And the diesel price in Newcastle is a dollar fifty-three point four, which is you know, um, 0.4 of a cent difference. Mm-hmm. And in Newcastle, it's a dollar fifty-one point nine, which is point uh, four of a cent difference as well. Can so you- we're all a little bit poorer this week. <laughs> Only if we sell, eh? Only if we sell. Okay. If we want to buy, we can buy it cheaper. Time we took a look at current, uh, the stock market and the companies and what they're up to, Stephen Pritchard, with Henry Jennings from the Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. Henry, we're in winter well and truly now. We are. It's a bit nippy out there at the moment, Stephen, but yes. it is nice and sunny, which it is good. sunny, but it was freezing here on, on Tuesday. 
Oh, was it? Yeah, seven and a half. Oh, seven and a half. That, that sounds like a mark out of ten or a temperature. That's right. <laughs> um, yes. Anyhow, so a surprise takeover a bit for well, a surprise to me anyhow for That's APA. To lots of people, I think. Yes, it, it was surprised. Uh, APA, which is uh, a group that was spun out of, I think it was spun out of AGL. AGL yeah. That's right. Years and years ago, it came on at two bucks. And there is a um, Hong Kong Chinese group called CKI, which already owns quite a bit of infrastructure in Australia, I have to say. They they did, uh, I guess, infamously get t- knocked back from buying Ausgrid, which is the New South Wales power grid, um, by Scott Morrison. Um, but they do own um, a thing called Duet Group, and they also own part of Spark Infrastructure. So these guys have bid uh, $11 in cash, $13 billion, which is an awful lot of money in anyone's language. Um, the um, the share price at the moment is actually um, only trading at $9.60. It had a big run yesterday, obviously, after the bid, but now there are some concerns that the Foreign Investment Reform Review Board will knock back the bid. Um, so I guess there's counter-arguments either way. Um, the company itself is pretty chuffed, I think, to have got a bid of 11 bucks because that would be an all-time high um, and um, a very big price to pay. So clearly at the moment there are some strategic assets in Australia, especially infrastructure assets, which are very appealing to overseas investors um, who take a longer-term view. And with interest rates still around the world, I guess, um, quite low, um, the rate of return they can get on these infrastructure assets is is significantly better. Long-life assets are good for pension funds and those sorts of things, um, and also for these sorts of infrastructure companies like CKI. So lots of lots of politics to come in this one. Um, I suspect um, they will have to go on a serious charm offensive to charm Canberra because uh, gas is a politically motivated commodity with electricity prices, etc. So I would say um, that um, it, it, it will struggle to get through, but they clearly have done some homework in terms of what they're prepared to sell off and what they're prepared to give in terms of concessions to get it through, but we'll see. Mm. And then Lifestyle Gateway received a takeover offer as well. Yeah, another one. We actually had three takeovers yesterday. Lifestyle Gateway got one from a U.S. company. Lifestyle Gateway is a um, kind of a, um, not mobile home, but a prefabricated yeah. home yeah. villages. Uh, market caps around six hundred and fifty million, um, and they got a bid from uh, an American group called Hometown. Um, Australia, which they've been doing a few bits and bobs around the place. They've been looking to try and get into the Australian market. They've been $2.10. Now, the market is clearly believing in this case that they can pay more because currently we're trading at Mm $2.13. So uh, there is, I guess, a a belief that um, that maybe there is a sweetener on the table and this is just the opening offer, but we shall, uh, I guess we shall see. But uh, a lot of activity at the moment in, in in the M&A space. Three, yes, the Investor Office Fund as well bid for two. Oh, who, who bid for that this time? Um, Blackstone. Oh, okay. Yeah, large pension fund. Yes, so um, now this is an interesting story buried in the back of the financial room. The MD and the CO tried to sell six million shares in Kogan. Yeah, this is, I've got to say, this is one of my, um, this is a stock that I like um, because I, I think it's, bit like the Amazon of Australia, but um, 
This, this has been an interesting tale. So the MD, Russell & Kogan, and his right-hand man, David Schaefer, um, well, the company announced a, um, a, a move into white goods, um, and the stock price absolutely rocketed. It got up to $9.80. Um, and these two gentlemen used this strength in the stock price to try and offload around, around 10% of their holding. Now, between the two of them, they owned um, 54 million shares um, in Kogan, which is uh, about 52 or 53%, and they were looking to offload about 10% or um, uh, or 10% of, of the share capital of Kogan, so about 9 million shares, I guess. Uh, and they didn't get a bid. Well, at least they didn't get a bid that was acceptable to them. And the, and the market, when they found out that they didn't get a bid and the founders were selling, just cratered. Um, and it went from 980 down to 825. And then yesterday we got the news that um, Ruslan and David had um, sold 6 million shares between them at 7 bucks, which is a long way shy of that $9.80 they got up to. Um, reluctantly, they said, to fund personal commitments. Now, um, if you followed the gossip, um, Rosalind Kogan's just bought a, a big trophy house in, um, in Turak in Melbourne, so maybe that was part of it, but certainly the stock price has come under some pressure. They sold 6 million shares, and they said they won't sell any more till September, but you'd have to think that maybe there's um, another... Yeah, there's another bit in the wings. They have sold some before, and they still own 51% of the company and 48 million shares between the two of them. So um, they still have some serious skin in the game, I would say. But the uh, market always gets spooked when founders and uh, large shareholders sell out of parcels. Mm-hmm. Very spooked. Yeah, it's like uh, that blue sky thing. Yeah, well, there they had reason to um, yes. get spooked. You know, some, sometimes insiders sell things. Uh, I think Marcus Blackmore uh, sold a big, uh, biggish parcel of uh, Blackmore shares um, to buy a new yacht. Yacht, yes, that's right. And, and then and the stock price just didn't look back. He's, he, he's got seven now, I understand, from one of my clients. Oh, really? Seven. seven. He's, he's a, he's a um, local around And they're fully area. crude, I understand. I would imagine there's only one way to go, isn't there? You've got to have them fully crewed. Yes, so anyhow. For every port in a storm. No no yachts up at Tamilwood because their buildings, their developments are falling because of tighter credit requirements. Yeah, well, I guess things are tightening up. This is is one of the... When you have a Royal Commission... um, into banking, and you you uncover all these um, these issues. Um, there is a tendency to um, you know there is a tendency for for unintended consequences. I think, and one of the unintended consequences um, is this credit sort of crunch that uh, happens with with banks having to um, get out of lending money, and um, certainly uh, Tamar Wood, which uh, has blamed the Royal Commission for this, uh, they covered their profit outlook by 9%. Um, it's a Brisbane-based company. Um, it's a Brisbane-based um, property developer. So certainly tighter credit controls do have un- unintended consequences. And my, my, my little friend Paul Dales from Capital Economics was headlines in the papers yesterday talking about the potential for an Australian recession because of falling house prices, tighter credit, and, uh, and rising interest rates. So um, there, there is a potential out there for some, some nastiness. Um, and, of course, when you cast your mind back to the GFC, one of the big problems was that you know, the whole funding of, of stuff just seized mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Um, and money is supposed to um, flow around the system. It's not supposed to seize up. And, of course, if the Royal Commission makes money seize up, then um, 
it's not just um, prop developers that are going to suffer, but banks' profits that are going to suffer too. Uh, so, Henry, I see that Bunnings has uh, coined a new term, or a term I haven't heard before. They're going to expand into the do-it-for-me market. Yes, the yes. D-I-F-M market as yes. opposed to the D-I-Y market. Yes. Um, and this is um, this is fresh on the heels of their disastrous UK foray. Um, I'm not sure this is going to solve their problem, but it's interesting nonetheless. They um, they've started doing uh, things like you can buy a toilet mm-hmm. at uh, Bunnings, a toilet suite, and you can organise installation of that with tradespeople uh, from high pages, and 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 basically tradies will come out and install this stuff for you. Um, so it's it's probably not a bad idea actually. I'm sure they'll do it with kitchens. They they do their flat pack kitchens. Um, so I would imagine that you'd be able to buy your kitchen from Bunnings and have a a, a carpenter installer kind of guy come out and, and fit it for you for a lot less than the, the schmancy uh, kitchen um, designers will do it for. So yeah, it, it could be quite a a big thing, I guess, going forward. I did see one of the catalogues that popped through my door had a big thing on this, so, yeah, may, yeah maybe I'm this. Not, I'm, from personal experience, I'm not, I'm not sure that, that but they're, they're actually any cheaper on the kitchens. Probably not. Mm. Probably not. Um, but anyhow, let's anyway. see if we can recover our $1.7 billion from losses in the UK <laughs> by, by installing toilets. Well, they flushed a lot of money down the loo. Yes, yes. So may, maybe there's a nice um, irony there. Yeah, I don't know we want to get into that. Anyway, <laughs> Caltex expects improved profits. Yeah, I, I, I was actually on Sky Business yesterday and somebody asked me a question about Caltex. And I have to say, I, it's a business that I really struggle to understand. There's lots of um, terms in there that seem to be unique to Caltex. Um, and um, they did upgrade their numbers, but it's it's still a quite a difficult company. It's not the most opaque mm-hmm. um, of companies. They're an oil refiner, retailer, franchiser, etc., etc. Um, I, I I kind of follow the the Warren Buffett maxim that if I can't understand something, steer um, away. Steer away. And Caltex has always kind of puzzled me. I must admit that they're um, yeah. It's um, you know, and if you look at the future of petrol, um, if we live in an EV electric vehicle world, there's going to be an awful lot of costs involved in switching over or mm-hmm. adding to mm-hmm. those um, Caltex garages. So for me, it's a kind of yeah, I don't really understand it. I think I'll pass on it. But yeah, refiner margins and historic profit mm-hmm. cost, whatever's yeah, it's just too hard. And then cab charge, cab charges results, right? Passengers yeah, cab, are up, switching well, to Well, you know, I, I, I feel a bit sorry for the cab cab drivers, I've got to say. I mean, they, the poor old... Um, unfortunately, governments think that just because something is disruptive, it's trendy and then should be embraced and the rules mm-hmm. don't apply to them because they're disruptive. You know, all those bikes that appear in the city, I mean, you, could, you, know, you have to get a permit and pay to take a commercial photograph in a park yet these commercial bike companies can appear out of nowhere and litter our streets. And Uber, which, you know, everyone thinks is fantastic. Uber is, is, is one of these companies that came along and disrupted the cab industry. The, you know, the trouble is that they're taking such a big slug. And if you called Uber a, a, an unlicensed minicab dispatch system, which is what it is, yeah, that's what it is. rather than a trendy ride-sharing platform, which sounds so much more Silicon Valley and techy. 
Um, the, the minicab dispatch system is really not as glamorous, and they do take a big slug. And I think cab charge have, have fought back quite well, and I think people, you know, especially with the surge pricing, that you get the gouging, you know, when you actually want a cab um, at midnight on New Year's Eve, and you end up, you know, a $20 cab ride costs you 400 bucks, and you don't realize it till you get the bill. Um, that does turn a lot of people off. So, yeah. Well, I, I, one, of, one of my clients told me that the... The Uber drivers have got together and they're withdrawing their services, so the prices go up artificially. Oh, really? Yeah, so the less people are in the area, the surge pricing starts to cut in, and they're communicating on Facebook, apparently. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, yeah, I mean, I think Uber take around, it was about 20% oh, of, the, yeah. of the fare. So, you know, if you're, not, if you're not paying the overheads that the poor cab drivers, I mean, I used to have a, a regular guy that would take me up to do Sky, and, uh, you know, the, the amount of cost that he incurred in terms of all his insurance, insurance and all his license fees every year, it was horrendous. Now, if you cut out all those, of course you're going to be cheaper. Insurance but, on yeah. a, the third-party insurance on a taxi is something like 20000 Yeah, that's right. He, he reckoned it was about thirty grand to, to run the cab oh, a year. Oh, probably, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just crazy. If, if, if I just started up a service in, on the Northern Beaches just ferrying people around for, for money, unlicensed, uninsured for carrying fair-paying passengers, do you think the government would think that I'm trendy and cool? Mm. No. Yeah, well, there's if I third... had an accident, I'd be in all sorts yeah. of trouble. Well, that's right. There's a the third-party insurance, the increased registration fees. Yeah. It just goes on and on. Yeah, no. Just, licensing know, just, just because there's something's cool and trendy and disruptive doesn't mean to say it should be outside of um, the laws and, ha- and have different rules applied to them. Same, I, I guess Airbnb falls into that category as well, and it's... You know, it's all very well to say the biggest taxi company in the world doesn't have any taxi cabs. Well, that's true, but it is only a, a messaging system to get people to apply for jobs and then clip the ticket. But it's also not making any money. And it's also not making any money. And it, I mean, it did an awful lot of money in China. But anyway, mm. don't get me started. And Virgin, the Virgin CEO is leaving. John Borghetti. John Borghetti is taking his spaghetti. Mr. Borghetti, uh, he's not renewing his contract. He's done a, I don't know. Has he done a great job? He's, you know, people. He was the, he was the guy that was going to be the head of Qantas, and got passed over for Alan Joyce, I guess. So he took his bat and ball and went to Virgin, and Virgin has just been a, um, a, a rich airlines plaything since forever. And where Qantas has gone from strength to strength, it's very hard to see that. Virgin has gone from strength to strength. It has some big players in it. Share price-wise, it, it's really done nothing, whereas if you look at Qantas, it's been a, a stunningly successful share price um, in the last two or three years. So um, People credit him with bringing competition to Australia, and he did, but then we used to have Ansett as well, and they mm-hmm. sure brought competition until they went spectacularly um, boom. So, um, I, I, yeah, Virgin Australia as a stock doesn't really grab me because it's got too many big majority shareholders and it's just a, a, the boardroom must be a fun place to be so I can understand why he's taking his bat and ball and going for a quiet life and probably end up with some nice lucrative board seats elsewhere. And so where can we hear from you tomorrow? Um, you can uh, you can catch me uh, on the uh, marcustoday.com.au. You can sign up for a free trial, or you can watch me on um, Sky on Wednesdays and lunchtime or Tuesday afternoons. So, plenty of opportunities to to see my ugly mug. Yes, I've seen it. Okay, thanks, Harry. <laughs> thanks. Dave.
even right. We're planning to take a look at the bond market. We've done it before with Richard Murphy. We've done it before, about two months ago, so I thought we'd get Richard back and talk about um, what's happening in the bond market and just give us a bit of an update on interest rates and the outlook for interest rates. And Richard Murphy's the CEO and co-founder of XTB, so it's great to have you on the show, Richard. Thank you very much. So, Richard, what, where, where we are with the outlook? Where are we with interest rates, and what's the outlook for them in the short term? Yeah, look, it's a very interesting time right now, Stephen. So, yesterday, the U.S. Federal Reserve increased their rates for about the seventh time in a row, and their their interest rates now are above ours. But of course, our uh, Reserve Bank is, of course, saying, "Hang on, we don't have any inflation here. We don't have any major league." Um, wage growth and we've got a big property market that is overheated and therefore we do not see any reason to move. And then if you look at the what the, the markets suggesting being the futures markets on the ASX, it's suggesting there won't be a rate rise here until now, um, November or December twenty nineteen. So, you know, well over a year away. And that could push out to twenty twenty if, if things don't change here. But of course Australia is not divorced from the rest of the world and if we do start getting inflation creeping back in here and wage growth coming back here, um, then then you will see, you know, interest rates increasing. But right now it's still on hold is the message. You know, the Reserve Bank's saying that the wage growth growth isn't high enough. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Although I noticed I noticed the New South Wales politicians got a wage increase, so the politicians have always got a yeah. way. Someone said to yeah, me, they, they're, they're leading the way. They're leading the way in wage growth. Yes. So, so the independent tribunal uh, uh, um, fixed the politicians' wage growth, did it? Uh, yes. And then yeah. they the independent did. tribunal that's independently <laughs> appointed by the politicians. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and then uh, the um, the cash for for listeners the the cash in. Um, Bank bank rates and term deposits. How are we how are we going on those? Yes, yeah, so because they're sort of linked to the cash rate, they haven't really moved at all. So we look at that month on month, and you know, short dated. Most of the money's in either three month term deposits or or one year term deposits, and they are still in the low twos. And a cash management account, people have a Macquarie cash management account, is in the sort of mid to low ones yep. uh, in terms of percentages. So they're not. You know, we're still in this very, very low environment, so people looking for yields tend to um, say, well, where do I go for something above term deposits? And, that, you know, that's where bonds fit in, but they are also very low as well because of this low rate environment. So, so what, what, what type of rate can we get on, a, say, for example, a floating rate now? Floating rate uh, bond today, I was looking at some numbers today, you can get 3% mm-hmm. uh, for, you know, Macquarie Bank floating rate notes. So if you think, well, that's Macquarie Bank risk, that's the same as a cash management trust. Macquarie Bank risk only earning one and a half. Um, so some people buy floating rate notes as an alternative to cash management, thinking, well, that gives me double the double the, the yield. Yes, I have to buy it through a stockbroker and sell it when I want the money back. But um, it, it is quite a big yield pickup going for floaters. Yeah, you can, get, you can get a significantly high yield on, on we've noticed on the floating rates that are, than even yeah. a term deposit now. Than a, yeah, than the term deposits are you know some of the some of the you know the major most of the money's in the four major banks, and they they are low twos now, even even high ones mm-hmm. um, for for some three month deposits. So it's a it's a pretty gloomy 
yep. from a depositor's point of view. So, what sort of what, what sort of rates can we get on a uh, on the uh, fixed bond market at the moment? Yeah, so investment grade companies, ASX 100 companies like Qantas, etc., you can get um, up to about three and a half percent yields on on those on the ASX and. Um, you know, that people are comparing that with term deposits at 2.3, 2.4, so it's a bit of an yeah. uplift. Yeah, so, so they only say it's only 1% more, but it's but, but, but if you've got, say, for example, $100,000, your 2200 a year suddenly becomes 3500 a year. Yeah, it's so, actually, you know, so that's a 30% increase in yeah. the income you're getting from it. Yeah. That's right. So you need particularly, to, particularly if, you li- if you're living off your savings and you're living off the interest, um, it does make a big difference. And how many, how many of these listed bonds have we got on ASX now? So there are 50 um, XCBs. Most of them, about 40 of them, um, are fixed rate and 10 are floating rate. So it gives yes. a mixture between the two. So there's quite a, there's quite a big choice there now. And, yeah. And, and what, about the, what about the maturity dates? Um, have we got a range of maturities there? Yeah, so they range from, you know, there's one matured yesterday, um, yep. all the way through to about seven years. So it's a, a wide range just between now and seven years. Corporate bonds, generally speaking, don't go out really beyond 10 years. Um, so the longest one at the moment is about seven years. Right. So basically, if people are looking for an alternate from a, for a term deposit, provided they're, able to, provided they're prepared to take a, take a bit of extra risk, they should be able to match their maturity they require for a term deposit with an XTB. Yes, yes, you can. And obviously, the, the added benefit is that if you suddenly need to sell for some reason, you can sell every day. You're not, you're not locked into that that maturity. You just buy and sell on the ASX every day. Whereas with a term deposit, if it's a three year term deposit, you're locked in. If it's a one year term deposit, you're locked in, and you have to pay break fees, etc. Whereas yep. these, you just sell whenever you want to. That's right. And then fixed interest can be a bit more complicated than than some people think, particularly with the. Um, you know, the issues such as the capital value and how that's affected by interest rate movements. So is there some educational um, source around where people can learn about this? Yeah, we've got on our website, we've got from the very, very basics of bonds 101 all the way through basically everything that uh, a mum and dad investor would need to know about investing in bonds and, and corporate bonds and fixed income generally, and it compares it with term deposits, it compares it with government bonds and, and managed funds and ETFs and things like that. that. That's on our website, which is www.xtbs.com.au. And, and that's all free? Uh, yes, absolutely. No, it's, it's, it's good. All education is good from our point of view yeah. uh, about bond markets. So it's just so if people want to learn about the maturity and the interest rates and the risks, they can just go on and get that free off your website. Yeah, and there's tools there they can plug in, pretend they're, they're investing $100,000 or whatever and see what the cash flow is. And that really, that's one, one really good way of educating yourself is play around with the tools on the website, stick in a hundred grand. It doesn't do anything. It's only a, it's only a piece of a mechanical yep. tool that shows you, um, shows you what income you would get along every month and when you get the principal back, et cetera. And that's a really good way of learning is playing around with, with the play money, if you like, um, yep. on the website. Okay. Thanks for that, Richard. We'll talk to you in a few months. Excellent. Thanks very much. Thanks. And Richard Murphy is CEO of XTB. This is Thursday Finance for today. Catch it on podcast to nurfm.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. 
Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.